Today's podcast is brought to you by Terrace Metrics, a proud corporate sponsor of NCEA. Terrace Metrics provides comprehensive, empirically-based, and customized services that allow schools to measure, monitor, and manage key resiliency factors for all students. The system links data to parent and educator resources, including curriculum, videos, and workshops, which help schools improve the well-being of students and academic progress. Terrace Metrics is committed to NCEA's mission by providing educational resources that support Catholic education. Please see our website, www.terracemetrics.org backslash schools. Welcome to the NCEA podcast. My name is Colleen McCoy-Sika, and I'm the Director of Professional Learning for NCEA. Today's guests on the podcast are here to share a recent research study that highlights the achievement of students in Florida that have participated in the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship Program, which is also known as the FTC program. The findings of the study can help leaders and teachers understand why advocacy is so important. Catholic schools are providing all students, especially those who are underserved or have fewer resources, helping them to excel in in Catholic school environments with achievement, excellence, and helping students realize their gifts through faith-centered education, advocacy on the part of leaders, teachers, and parents is connected to achievement and excellence. So I'm very excited to have this conversation today. Um, My first guest is Joe Womack, and he is the president of Specialty Family Foundation. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. It's so great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And Annie Smith is my other guest, and she's the Vice President of Research and Data at NCEA. Welcome, Annie. Thanks for having me, Colleen. No problem. I'm glad you're here. And Joe, can you give just a little bit more background about um, your role and what the Specialty Family Foundation is? Yes, of course. I'm glad to. I serve as the president of Santa Monica, California's Specialty Family Foundation. We're a private family foundation with a poverty alleviation mission, and we're extremely uh, risk tolerant, trying to go after intractable uh, issues that are holding back society from reducing poverty's uh, conditions, conditions that lead to persistent poverty. And so we have focused extensively on a number of conditions, but our largest is the access to a quality education that is the right fit for every child. If you don't have that as a child, you're more likely to stay in the circumstances you were born into or or actually persist into worse circumstances in adulthood. So we believe Catholic schools are a fantastic option in inner urban neighborhoods, and um, we, we are very uh, pro family choice as an organization, but we think these things need to be studied. I myself have a background in education. I've been working in foundation work for 20 years, and I used to teach in Catholic schools. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here. I I love hearing um, that you were a teacher in Catholic schools, but also all the great work that your foundation is doing. So thank you. Thank you for all of that. Thank you. And Annie, can you share a little bit about yourself and your role at NCEA? Yeah, um, so I've been with NCA for almost two years now, and I work um, analyzing information and data to inform um, decisions and make recommendations for both NCA and our members, and that can be anything from analyzing enrollment data to um, 
financial data as well as partnering with scholars across the country to strengthen Catholic schools through research, um, higher education institutions, and then um, I'm lucky enough to work sometimes with foundations um, hearing about some of the studies that they're working on. Excellent. And Annie, your background too, you were in um, Catholic school system leadership, correct? Yeah. So before NCI, I was an associate superintendent in our diocese of Boston. Excellent. Okay. So we've got Catholic school teachers and Catholic school leaders, because I, I did both of those things too. I was a teacher and a leader too. So, all right, we're all, we're all on the same team here. This is exciting. All right. So let's jump into, um, let's jump into some of these questions and learn more about the study. So Joe, let's start with you. Can you share with the listeners why this particular research and its data findings are of interest to you? Your organization, as you said, is a large funder of Catholic education initiatives. So you didn't exactly fund the research from, from a place of neutrality, obviously, did you? No, no, we didn't. And I wear my bias on my sleeves. But I also want to, so I'll start by creating two quick disclaimers. First of all, uh, if you just look my name up, you'll see that um, uh, Catholic education is written all over my vocation. I began uh, uh, straight out of college as a member of the Alliance for Catholic Education's class A7. So that was the seventh year in the history of Notre Dame's interventions into Catholic schools through ACE. And it really formed me into really realizing for the first time in my life I'd gone to Catholic schools. But I didn't know that there were Catholic schools that were exclusively serving at-risk populations until I was teaching in, in that context. And, and also in, in a part of the country that struggles uh, with its educational outcomes um, more than others, Louisiana, and in, in a town that really only had two schools, the Catholic school and the public school, uh, both of which we would want to, to thrive, but to lose one would mean that, that, that having two options in that town would go down to one. And so I just realized that Catholic schools provide often the only other option for a family because they're the only other option that seeks to be accessible, truly accessible to low-income kids at a challenge. And so I also learned 20 years ago that these schools were... Um, were an endangered species in terms of the schools that uh, the Catholic schools that serve the most low-income kids, and so I've believed in them in options for, for a long time, and I believe I've believed in the Catholic school option for a long time, and so that's my first disclaimer: is 100% I'm pro-Catholic school, pro-parental choice, but at the same time, that does not mean that I am straight up across the board, always all the time, a fan of Catholic education. I spent my whole career working on Catholic education, but I'm a fan of what works. Uh, that's what I'm a fan of. Uh, okay. What works with yeah, each that, kid. That gives you some, some objectivity. You're looking for excellence. And I've been and in hundreds and hundreds of schools, charter schools, public schools. I'm a graduate of public school. I've been in public schools that work with certain kids. I've been in charter schools that work with certain kids. I've been in Catholic schools that work with certain kids. And I've also been in all three of those sectors and seen situations that weren't working. And so I think data matters. Uh, going off of anecdote and, and just sort of saying, I care about this particular model of education, you can become part of the problem even if you are working with a system. So as we focus on Catholic schools, it's very important for us to recognize there's actually a dearth of research in recent years that really truly shows how are these schools performing with the populations we care about. And you know, you can go back to the Catholic school advantage phrase that was coined from Coleman's research in really the 80s that showed that Catholic schools were at that time 
more than other sectors, closing the achievement gap for, for, uh, for poor and minority students, that they were performing more equal to kids of different income strata and different racial and ethnic and cultural backgrounds uh, that shouldn't indicate uh, academic outcomes, but have always indicated academic outcomes. We shouldn't be able to look at a child's skin color and predict they'll do worse. And in Catholic schools, it's been harder to predict they'll do worse historically, that they would do more equally. And that is a positive and a, and a bit of a unicorn in the educational system. But that historic knowledge that Catholic schools have a history of reducing achievement gaps and in higher matriculation rates, you know, an eighth grader is more likely to graduate, stay in school, and go to a good high school. And they're more likely to graduate high school and go to college and persist in college. We've known that about Catholic schools historically. We can't say that we know that about Catholic schools uh, in 2022 to the same degree. And so school choice programs like the ones in Florida that allow families to almost randomly uh, by as a means-based basis, be, uh, transfer their child into private school, really for the first time in, in often these families' generations, offer a, a, a tremendous data set for us to just compare how did this kid do when they switched and how did they do compared to other kids that switched. And so it's a very compelling opportunity to, in a very efficient way for us to ask questions about how are our schools doing. We weren't looking to prove that Catholic schools do better this time around. We were looking to understand it. How are they doing and in what ways are they doing that? Thank you for clarifying that. And also thank you for shining the light on the importance of data when seeking to you know, really drill down into what creates excellent education. And I, I know that Annie's probably cheering in the background right now too, because that is, that is her role is to shine that light on data here at NCEA. So let's talk more about um, about Florida specifically. So can you provide some background on the FTC who qualifies for the scholarship in Florida? How long has it been in place? And how has it been expanded throughout the years? Yes, Florida was one of the first states uh, to, um, in 2001, to establish a tax credit program, uh, which is a fantastic way to increase access uh, to the private school system for low-income people. It's a mean, primarily a means-based, which means you qualify based upon your income and your family for these scholarships. So there's two halves of a tax credit program. There's the scholarships and the funding. Where's the money going to come from and who can get it? Who qualifies for the scholarships is means-based. I believe it's 200% poverty or lower. It might be 250%. It's, and in 2001, they began the program small. I want to give credit to conservatives who almost unanimously supported this in the State House of Florida, but it was actually heroically supported by um, a strong percentage, I want to say 30% about, of the Democrats in, in the State House in Florida, and the majority of the minority caucus uh, supported this law in 2001 in a smallish way. It had an escalation clause. And if the program didn't cost money because as they transferred kids from public school into private school with scholarships, um, the, the, it needed to show that the per pupil spending at the public schools was not harmed. And if they could show that the state budget and the per pupil spending 
at, and the public schools was not harmed, the program would escalate. And it therefore has worked so well that it's escalated into hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars spent, hundreds of millions of dollars per year, every, uh, every uh, period since. And so it's still going strong in 2022. And, and really who qualifies for the scholarships are low income public school students whose parents are considering trying to find a way to pay the tuition of a private school um, that they would love to try to put their kid into so they need a scholarship. Where does the money come from? If you're a business or you're a couple or an individual who has tax liability, like let's say primarily income tax liability in the state of Florida. So if you owe a thousand dollars to the state uh, of Florida for income tax, and, and you want to give $1,000 to the Florida Tax Scholarship Program, you can give that $1,000 to, to a kid and you get a dollar for dollar tax credit. So it costs you nothing almost to give that scholarship up to the limits of what you owe the, the state. And so it's a way to encourage people to take some of their tax liability and give it to scholarships instead. And everybody kind of wins, even the public schools benefit because uh, some of the burden of educating those students um, is taken off of them, and it's often students that they're struggling with because they're transfers. But the per-pupil spending in the public schools goes up because um, they have fewer students, uh, and the, the, the money that was going to be given to the, to the school districts is often largely retained, and not all of it, but most of it. Does that help answer your question? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you actually explained that really well. My I'm in Arizona, so in my home state here, we also have um, exactly the way you described it. It's the dollar-for-dollar dollar tax credit program. So anyone, business or individuals that, you know, owe any tax money to the state can use that for scholarships. And so and it's been around here in Arizona. We're celebrating our 20, 25 years, I think, of, of tax credit organizations here in Arizona. So I think there are 17 states or something now that, that have some form of tax credit program. So listeners, if you are in a state uh, that has a tax credit program, look into that. You can be, uh, you know, giving your tax liability to, uh, to Catholic education students instead of to, um, to, to the state. You're still going to pay something to the state, but you can give some of your liability to Catholic school programs. So let's, let's dive into the study itself, Joe. So the design of the study and what was measured. So what has the data revealed about students in Florida's public schools and those in non-public schools? Great. Well, I want to give credit to the Ferry Family Foundation and um, their CEO, Quentin Oram, who um, uh, really architected um, this with David Figlio, um, the researcher, and uh, we co-funded with them in this. And so it wasn't just, and, and so we were a funder of this. Um, and not the 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 you know the designer of this, and I am not uh, a, a, a person with a terminal research degree in education. But we st I want to start with David Figlio. Dr. David Figlio at Northwestern is um, a very highly uh, appreciated uh, researcher in the field of education, especially when it comes to comparative study. And I want to say I have nothing but amazing things to say about him. And my, the thing that, about him that impressed me the most over time, I've read his research for years, is, is that he really is not unlike me, uh, uh, who began this call saying that I have biases in the 20 years of really trying to help Catholic schools. And I've put my 
yourself into that space, trying to help this system improve and get stronger and go from strength to strength. He does not have a horse in the race. And so we felt it was very important to pick a researcher who understands how to research comparative study to try to get as close to a randomized study as possible, which is nearly impossible to do, but he got pretty darn close, and to not come at it trying to show anything, just trying to learn the truth. And so he is someone who, I think if you look him up, you'll see that he is often quoted by conservatives uh, who promote school choice and parental choice and promote change in how we fund and do education. He is often also quoted with appreciation by teachers unions and people that support traditional um, uh, public school district solutions. And so he is not somebody who has a side on this. And we felt that was very important. We also felt it was important to let him, from hook, line, and sinker, soup to nuts, design it and run it. So we did not design the study, we funded it. And what we asked was, because he had access to the data set in Florida, uh, which is a fantastic data set. You know, millions of kids have gone from, have transferred into the private school system. Um, and uh, all the information on how they're doing at a test level, he had access to tremendous amounts of that. And so his access to that presented a research opportunity that was efficient, and we let him design it. And what we said was the most, uh, uh, for this study, the most powerful opportunity to, comp to do comparing was actually between the kids that landed in the Catholic schools and the kids that landed in other private schools, uh, which we celebrate those choices too. But we were curious, how did the kids that transferred into the Catholic schools do compared to the kids that transferred into the other private schools? Because it was a near apples to apples comparison. And he designed that. And we do believe that he got a really strong comparison about how did the Catholic school kids that transferred in from this program in, uh, do versus those that, that went into others on their reading and on their math primarily. Annie, can you jump in on this a little bit? How do you think these findings coincide with data collected through NCEA, um, the work that you do at NCEA and, and maybe other studies that you're aware of? Yeah, well, I think what's, what's unique is, as far as we know, this is the first time that we've ever really compared in a large scale Catholic schools versus non-public Catholic schools. So it was really great to see um, th that there is a significant Catholic school advantage in both reading and mathematics um, for Catholic school. Uh, for FTC program recipients. Um, something else that we found that was really, or that David Figlio found that was really interesting is that um, students in the program in Catholic schools were staying at a much higher rate than students in non-public schools. So we had a much higher retention rate, which is something we saw during COVID. We saw a lot of new students transfer into our schools and then they're staying in our schools and enrollment has gone up um, in Catholic schools for the first time in a long time. So that was great to see. Um, and then I just want to mention University of Notre Dame um, with NDWA has um, been doing research in academic studies and how students have been doing and they saw that Catholic school students score higher in math and reading than public school students on average. Um, so slightly different than what this was, but it's still great to see um, in other studies Catholic school students scoring higher. Right, a little bit of consistency. So Annie, you said that there were many students that transferred into Catholic schools in the state of Florida during COVID and then they stayed there. Is that also something that you noticed happening in other states in the country or can you speak to that? 
Oh, yeah. Sorry, Colleen. So um, what David Figlio found, his study was from, um, I think, 2008 to 2018. So he found along that study that there's a higher retention rate for the participants. And then NCA separately um, did a study last year looking at um, transfer students. And we saw students transferring into our Catholic schools and then staying there um, across the country. Got it. Thank you for clarifying that. Good, good. Okay. So then the question becomes, then why... Why are we even comparing Catholic schools to other private schools? And why not compare them to public schools where most low-income students actually are? Um, what are the educational implications of this study for parents, for educators, and, and even for taxpayers? Um, Joe, do you want to take that one first, and then I'll jump over to Annie? Sure. Well, first and foremost, David uh, uh, presented uh, to, with Quentin uh, to us this was the best opportunity for this study to do. So you go where the data tells you you'll find the most information. For this particular data set, you have to understand, like, if you think about uh, social science, and um, forgive me, all you social scientists, for how I'm explaining this, um, uh, you, you're trying to, to, to get to these soft areas, uh, you know, happiness, uh, educational success, comparative stuff. It's not. It's not as as easy to pinpoint fact in study as compared to measuring the speed of a of an apple that falls from a tree to the ground. And so the way that social science tries to do the the most pure outcomes and, and conclusions they can draw are usually from randomized studies. You can imagine the 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 control group of a, a, a taking a placebo. Uh, and they don't know it, and another group taking the actual pill. Well, how do you do that in education, right? Because a human being isn't random. You, want, you don't want to make them live their life randomly. You want them to live their life intentionally. You want parents to make intentional choices. And so it may have been actually more powerful, for all I know, to compare uh, in Florida public school kids to private school kids. But this data set is of all the transfers and we had access to it. And so that means we have the information of how they did once they transferred. We did. We could have tried to, in a more, much more, probably multi-million dollar way, try to dive into what was happening in public schools to those same exact kids beforehand, but that data wasn't sitting right in front of us. So Dr. Figlio said, I can, I can efficiently and very powerfully compare the kids that transferred into Catholic schools versus the ones that transferred into others with this data set, should I do it? And it's almost random. It isn't random, but it's almost random because all these kids transferred in at the same time and they all are in the same income strata in the same place and they came from the same place. They came from public schools. And so it's just very powerful information. And so when we had an opportunity, we wanted to understand that information. And that's what he does is he, he, under, he analyzes and synthesizes and understands that information. Here's some, a, another little point, then I'll let Annie improve everything I'm saying. And that is to say that Catholic schools do have distinctions from other private schools, but we support those choices. So it's not like we're trying to show that the Catholic schools are better. There's differences. If you compare the schools, it's not an apples to apples comparison. And all it really matters is, does this kid get the better education? So if the data says that on average, Catholic schools do better with a group of kids and on average, another group doesn't, that doesn't mean that other group is, is worse. 
for what kids? So, you know, you can segment and learn things that some kids do better in one place than another. But generally speaking, the Catholic school system is the, is the lowest cost private option. And so these kids all got the same scholarship amount. Every single one of them did. You know, there's a, there's a prorated number, but based on their income, whether they were in one school or another, they got the same amount, but the tuitions are not identical. Many of the other private schools are charging twenty, thirty thousand dollars. The Catholic schools average a much lower tuition rate, so they do average more accessible. And so, understanding that compared to other private options, that they might do equally or even better with some groups of kids is a powerful testimony to a, what is I would think of as typically speaking the most accessible private system, if that makes sense. So we wanted to compare that because we could is the answer. Yeah. Oh, that's, I, I love the way you just explained that last part. Annie, is there anything else that you wanted to add to that particular question? Yeah, I just wanted to note that Figlio looked at um, a bunch of different student and family subgroups, including race, sex, parental, martial status, household size, and family income. And across all those different subgroups, he found the same results um, with Catholic students uh, performing better in both math and reading. And since he found these consistent differences, um, it's much more likely that these differences will be observed in other environments too. You know, he was just in Florida, but you know, we hope that this can be replicated in other states and see similar data just showing how important school choice is and how um, great Catholic schools are doing. And as Joe said, at a much lower cost than other um, non-public schools and even um, a less per people cost than public schools as well. So as with any really great study, it really raises a lot of questions, so many things that I would love to know more about than, um, you know, uh, not, not that there were um, limitations to the study necessarily, but the implications for more opportunity for study is what I'm curious about. And, and particularly because I mentioned that here in Arizona, and I know that there are other states with tax credit programs, but because it's my home, I think about, you know, there, there hasn't been a study of this kind here in Arizona. And because school choice is also pervasive here, and I think about charters and the, the amazing Christian schools we have here, the Jewish schools we have here, and a study like this has not been done here. So, um, you know, there are implications of this study that could then um, take place, you know, in other states, and I would be so curious to see if there is consistency. So, um, you know, to that end, I, you know, I want to pose just one last question to both of you, and that's most of our listeners um, are involved in, in Catholic schools um, as, as teachers. Many of our listeners are Catholic educational leaders. What meaningful takeaways does this research suggest for leaders in Catholic education throughout the country? Um, Joe, do you want to tackle that one first? Yes, and so um, uh, I'll say we were happy for the Catholic schools as well as some of the private schools So, because some of the numbers that we're comparing, we're comparing one school system to another, they could both be showing strong results compared to how other systems have traditionally done with low-income kids. So I think that actually in some of the numbers, uh, they suggest but don't prove that the kids that transferred in, in, in this data did, did pretty well regardless of where they went to school in some way. So that's good. Uh, but in particular, there was a delta for the kids that were in Catholic school uh, in their math and reading, a couple points better on average. And so we were happy to see that it, it, in this very efficient, low-cost 
education system that the results weren't worse and even in many instances were actually better for those kids um, and uh, and that was good we also can look at all the rest of the data uh, that of other studies that have been done there's been meta-analysis that has shown that in many school choice state studies that uh, that you know that public school test scores don't go down when these kids transfer out and so it doesn't harm the local public schools. We can add this research to that previous research. Um, and as you say, we can ask what questions does this do these answers we've just gotten raise? Because I do think when you bring up um, Arizona, there's Ohio, um, but there's also states with big, bigger, even bigger sort of uh, more traditionally liberal city and education systems that have gone into the school choice, like Chicago and Illinois now have a school choice program. It suggests we should look at those states and see if the data there it, uh, corroborates this study, because this could be just Florida. It, it doesn't prove anything about Catholic schools writ large. But if you do it in five other school choice states, and they all suggest these kids do a little better or even a lot better when they switch, it could make it a case for doing these policies in other states that don't yet have them. Agreed, exactly. And that, and that is so much what I, what I wonder about. Annie, anything that you want to add to, to that final question there? Yeah, I just think this project, the results just indicate like how important it is to be transparent with your data and your academic growth so our researchers can do more data like this. The reason why Figlio went to Florida is because they had such a strong data set. Um, and so as we strengthen our data culture in Catholic schools, um, we can hopefully see more research like this coming out and then use it to inform our schools and improve our schools. Yeah, great point, great point. It's the transparency of the data and the accessibility to the data itself that we need in order to do these studies, great point. So, and Annie mentioned um, a little bit earlier when she was answering one of the questions um, that there are other studies out there that have compared Catholic school students to private school students and public school students. And so I'm, I'm hoping this is just the beginning of a conversation around data and student achievement um, that we will be able to do a lot, a lot more with uh, moving forward and especially, you know, with, with Annie's help. So I just want to thank both of my guests today on the podcast. Joe Womack, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, anytime. And Annie, thanks so much for spending time with us as well. Thank you, Colleen. And thank you, Joe, for joining us. All right. And I want to thank the listeners for tuning in to another NCEA podcast. Uh, tune in again next time. Bye. Bye.